You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Well, I tell you to sit, but I don't even know if you stood in the house. So if you're in your house standing, go ahead and sit down. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna own the awkwardness of this for me. Um, but that's okay, and this is good for me to put me out of my comfort zone. I was talking to some guys before. I'm more nervous now speaking to a camera and a few people than I am normally hundreds and th- even thousands. And so, um, But by God's grace, I'm going to get through this, and I will try to look at the camera as much as I can. But you know, I like to move. They've told me I can't go beyond here and here, so this is going to be challenging for everybody. Um, so... Uh, you y'all know me if you know I've been here any season of time. I'm a I'm an '80s nerd. I'm a Star Wars nerd. Some of you may not know I'm I'm kind of a Star Trek nerd too. It's kind of subtle. It's a second nerd level for me. Um, and so there was a movie that came out in the '80s called The Wrath of Khan. In my opinion, the best Star Trek movie there was. Uh, and a movie opens and there's this kind of battle going on, this attack. And now you come to find out that it was a test. It was fake. It was a simulation, and it was called. The Kobayashi Maru test, all right? So all the nerds in the house right now are like, yeah. But this test is, is in itself a cheat because it is a no-win test. The goal of the test is to see how the Starfleet officer would face a lose-lose situation. How do you handle the no-win situation, right? And no one ever beat the test until Captain Kirk beat the test because Captain Kirk cheated the test and reprogrammed it so he could win it. So he's the only one who ever wins a lose-lose situation, right? Um, Jacob in chapter 32 is going to face a no-win, a lose-lose situation, his own version of the Kobayashi Maru. Um, but he's going to win the lose-lose situation, not by cheating like you would expect, right? That's in his nature uh, in the past. He's actually not going to cheat he is going to find a way to win the lose-lose situation, right? He's going to turn a loss into a win. And we're going to see how as we unpack chapter 32. We're going to talk about that today. Because I think in life, we often face circumstances that seem like they're lose-lose. In some ways, going online for us has been a lose-lose because we miss that gathering of our people. So that's a loss. But also, we don't want people to get, to get sick, or we want to don't sicken other people, even if we're carriers or whatever. So that's a, there's, a, there's a seemingly no-win situation. Uh, but even when we face hard circumstances, discouragement, tragedy, loss, woundedness, uh, it feels like we're in this lose-lose situation, those Kobayashi Marus. But what we're going to see from our text is we actually have opportunity in those moments, in those seemingly lose-lose situations to win. So we're going to talk about that today as we look at Jacob. And what we've seen, if you're kind of new or you kind of haven't been with us, Jacob, God has been working on this man for a while. From before he was born, God said to him and his twin brother, in essence, that, that the older would serve the younger. He is the younger. And so when he is born, he's grabbing onto his brother's foot. And all the people are like, oh, isn't that cute? So let's call him Foot grabber, cheater, surplanter, we'll call him Jacob. And he lived up to his name as he twice cheated his brother out of his rightful birthright and his blessing. And so he has to run away because his brother wants to kill him, thinking it's going to be for a short time. It turns out to be 20 years. And God, over those 20 years, has done a lot of things in his life. He first meets him at Bethel and promises all the promises of Abraham and Isaac and, Jacob, and now him were, were still true. And so with a new lease on life, he continues to go to Haran 
and meets his family and his uncle Laban. And he works for seven years for what he thinks is going to be Rachel. And Laban tricks him and he ends up working for Leah. So he then has to work another seven years for Rachel. And then we saw last couple weeks that he actually worked another six years for his uncle. uh, Just taking care of his flocks. And despite Laban trying to trick him and steal from him and manipulate him, God still blesses. And he comes and leaves last week as Clint unpacked. rich and blessed by God in, in, a, in a financial way, not just spiritually. And, that, and that's kind of where we pick up this week, that God is doing what he said he was going to do. He gave him descendants. He's got all these kids now. He's going back to the land. That's what he was promised. He was going to provide for him. He has done all that. And so we pick up in chapter 32. And there's always been one thing in the back of Jacob's mind for 20 years Right? You know he woke up at night thinking about it. You know he was worried about it. He knew that at some point he was going to have to do something. And that something is mentioned nine times in this text. Esau. He has to face Esau. He's got to go back. That one who he wounded and hurt and that wanted to kill him. And he's going to do so, and as he does, he's going to face a no-win, a lose-lose situation. And and this this chapter is going to culminate with this big fight, this wrestling match with not who you think it is, right? Uh, And he's going to turn a lose-lose situation, and he's he's going to win, right? So let's jump into our text and unpack it. You can follow along at home. It'll be on the screen. Uh, Chapter 32 of Genesis, verse 1 and 2. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And so this, this story picks up kind of where it started. Remember, he left, and the angels of God met him in this dream that he had where angels were going up and down the staircase, and God was at the top. It's coming, it's coming full circle. Now he comes back, and the angels of God meet him. And we don't know what that looks like. It doesn't give us any details. But we just know that this is a place where heaven and earth are meeting. The angels are there. And so he calls it Mahan, uh, there's my Hebrew, Mahanaim, which means two camps. The idea is, here's my camp, and here's God's camp, which should have given him courage for going back to where he's going. But let's continue. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed with him until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that they might find favor in your sight. And notice the language. He's using language like Esau is my Lord, my Adonai. So you can use it for God, but you can also use it just for your master. He said, you're my master, I'm your servant. And and I've been with Uncle Laban for a while, and honestly, Esau, I'm kind of a big deal now. I mean, I got lots of stuff. I got stuff, camels and oxen. He's, and really, it's kind of he's kind of saying, I'm kind of like you, Esau. I mean, I used to be banker guy. I used to be computer guy, nerd guy. I'm an outdoorsy guy now. And I'm writing to you because I want to find favor. It's the word we use for grace. I know I kind of, I know we had a rough patch, but I'm hoping that's in the past. It's been 20 years. And so he sends messengers to him. Verse six, the messengers return to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Good news, your brother's coming. Bad news, he's coming with 400 men. And I was gonna say, 
that, you know, on a normal Sunday, this, just the folks on the floor is about 450 people. That illustration has fallen far short this morning. There's about 20 of y'all. But the idea, 400 men coming to him. Right? He doesn't have armies. He's got a bunch of little kids. He's got some servants. But he's facing this, this lose-lose situation. So he has a plan. Jacob is greatly afraid despite the meeting with the angels, despite being at God's camp. He's greatly afraid and distressed. He divides the people who are with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then this camp that is left will be able to escape. Again, lose-lose. His, his logic is, well, we'll split them up. If Esau attacks this one, at least 50% of us get away. Half of us make it, half of us don't. All right, that, that best case scenario is what he's thinking. But then he does something that we haven't seen him do since we were introduced to him. He prays. He's made a vow before, but we've never seen Jacob pray until now. Look at verse nine. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who, and if you have a little pen with you in your house or here, underline, you, you, who said to me, what does he say? This is what you told me. You spoke to me. This is your idea. You came to me. I'm just following your orders here. You said that you were going to do good to me, that I may do good to you, right? Verse 10, I am not worthy. This is is really one of the first times we see a humility in Jacob. He says, I am not worthy. He has thought himself worthy up to this point. The height of pride, the antithesis of humility is I am worthy. I deserve this. And so since I'm so important, I will do whatever I can. I'll lie to my brother. I'll lie to my dad to get what I deserve because I am worthy. Here he is saying, I'm not that important. I am not worthy of of the deeds of steadfast love. You hesed, covenant love. I, I have not been lovable. You have loved me. All the faithfulness that you have shown me. I I have been faithless. I didn't seek you at all. You sought me. And for with my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. I crossed over. I had nothing but a pillow for a stone. I had a stick. 20 years later, I'm a millionaire. And you have done it all, and I have not deserved it. It's a great, he's in a much better place than when he left. And then he asked God, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. In the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers of my children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Two great things about this prayer. Number one, he is super transparent and authentic. Isn't he? God, I'm scared. I, I'm, I am flat out freaking out. All right? Does God know that? Yes, he does. Is God okay with us being like that? Yes, he is. This is why so many times in scripture he says, be courageous. Because there's no reason to be courageous if there's no fear. Right? So he's, he's just, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. I got kids. I got. And then the second thing he does is he quotes God back to God. You notice that? You said, I will, make, I will do you good. You said your offspring will be this. You, you said these things. And let me just encourage you. God loves it when we quote him back to him. He loves it when we say, you said this, God, I'm counting on this. In fact, the writer of Hebrews quotes God when he's talking to Abraham 
And, and God's making promises to Abraham, and he says, I swear by myself. And the writer of Hebrews says, since he can't swear by anything bigger than himself, bigger, he says, I swear by myself, I will do this. Because God is true, and what he says is true. And when you and I will, will quote him back to himself, it delights him, right? And so in a lose-lose situation, first thing Jacob does that turns into a win, something we can all do, very simple, he does it here, is he worships. Now, is it out of fear? Is it out of a little bit of a uh, trepidation? Is it, or is it out of just adoration for what God has done? Yes, both. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why. It's what he does. He finally responds well. And there's going to be moments in our lives where we're completely overwhelmed and nervous. And there's going to be moments when there's just absolute peace. There's going to be moments when we don't feel anything. And there's going to be moments when there's absolutely just, we're just adoring God and we just feel so close to him. Right? But in those moments when we're scared and those moments when we, when we feel nothing, it is, it is vital. If we want to turn those losses into wins, what do we do? We worship just like him. We say to God, God, I got a zillion things going on here. And all I have is a stick. I got a stick. I got nothing. I got a pillow for a rock. Right? But here's what you've said. And when you can quote God back to God, this is why it's so important for us uh, you know, one of our specs is scripture, that we put ourselves under the scripture. But it's so important for, for you and I to just have in our back pocket, in our spiritual arsenal, some of those promises of God, those precious and magnificent promises, what Peter calls them, of what God has said. So that in those moments, you can say back to God, God, you said that if you were for me, who can me? You said that, not me. I didn't make that promise. You said that you would never leave me or forsake me. You said that there is no temptation that has overtaken me, but such is common to men. You are faithful. You will provide a way of escape that I might be able to endure it. You said there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You said that I am to take courage because you have overcome the world. You said that there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ. You said that you work all things together for good for those who love you. You said that if I trust you today, that I lean not on my own understanding, that in all my ways I acknowledge you, that you will direct my path. You said that you were preparing good works beforehand that I may walk in them. And when you can come to that place, whether you feel it or not, whether it's you lose everything or you lose nothing, one thing you cannot lose is him, and the second thing is you can't lose your joy. Because no one can steal your joy, right? And joy comes as we worship, as we walk by the Spirit. And I think for us as a church, for those who are facing lose-loses and for those who are actually in great places, I just think this needs to be a regular part of our, of our worship, like daily. So you go for a walk, right? You're getting some exercise and you're just, God, I'm not worthy, but you are. And I thank you for what you've done, right? I just thank you that I was dead in my sins. You've made me alive. I was an object of your wrath. You've made me a child of God. I had no hope, no future. You've given me eternal life. You've made me the bride of Christ. I think it should be a regular part. And this is why I think when Paul says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within us, the word of Christ is not specifically the Bible, it's the gospel. What has God done? You have been loved. Thank you, God, that I am unlovable, that I am unfaithful. You have loved. 
That's how we have joy and gratitude. That's how we take a lose-lose and we win in those moments, right? That you chose me, not that I was lovable, that you chose me because, because of you. Thank you for that. That's what we were created for, created to worship, created to know him, to enjoy him forever, right? And, and so I think that's one way that Jacob turns a lose-lose into win. That's the way we do. That's the first thing. So let's continue. So he stayed, verse 13. He stayed there that night, and, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels, and their calves, milking camels, don't know what that's like, don't want to know, and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. These he handed to his servants. He, it's 550 animals plus with, with babies. It's a lot of animals. And so what he does, he breaks them into groups. He handed them over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me, put space between drove and drove. He breaks them into three different companies, so to speak. And he instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, who's, who's are these? Who's these belong? Where are you going? And, and who's are those ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. And they are a present sent to my Lord Esau. So who's all these animals? They're yours. They're Jacob's, but he's giving them to you. So how about you not beat them up when you see him? That's the idea. And he likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So is there a little bit of a, Maybe buying him off, I don't know. I mean, he did do him wrong and maybe he's thinking, I'm just trying to make it right. But do, do remember this, Jacob knows, he's learned firsthand what it means to be wounded and lied to and tricked and deceived. He learned firsthand from Laban. And so I don't wanna just say, oh, he's just trying to manipulate again. There might be a legitimateness in them like, I did him wrong and I need to make it right. And I'm gonna give him all this, 550 animals, because I stole, and I was hurtful, and I was wrong, right? That, that's, that's the idea of what's going on here. Verse 21. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. He's going to stay one more night. Maybe he's like, I need a night at the Holiday Inn Express. It's going to be a long day tomorrow. Um, verse 22. That same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. So he sends all his kids, all his sheep, all his everything across the river. And he stays behind. And, chapter, and verse 24 says, and he was alone. All by himself. Just like when he started. He's got nothing, no, no people. He's got a stick. And he's got now, again, just like in the beginning, he's got a pillow for a stone. And this is exactly where God wants him right now. He's been working on this guy for 20 years. He's a stripped him bare. He's got nothing there. And now in the, he's just got the cold, dark night and all his thoughts. And you know he's thinking, what's gonna happen tomorrow? And he probably looks up at the stars. And this is an area of, of, uh, of Palestine, Israel area that's just desolate. So he can probably see the stars. He probably remembers, God, you said my, my family, my kids are gonna be that. I just don't feel that right now. What are you, what's going on? Right. And then we have just 
one of the most mysterious, strange, enigmatic passages in all the Bible. Here he is, all alone, middle of the night, and someone grabs him, right? Someone grabs him, spins him around, and gets him in basically a chokehold and starts fighting him. Verse 24, second half. A man wrestled with him. It's an ish. So it's a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, the details are scarce. It doesn't say much. Maybe when we get to heaven one day, this will be like a pay-per-view we get to watch, right? This is fight. Um, and there's a little Hebrew humor here. You got Jacob, Jacob, by the Yabak, the Jabak. And the word for wrestling is Vayakov. So for Hebrews, they're like, ah, oh, that's funny. For us, we're like, yeah, whatever. But it's Jacob is Jacobing by the Jacob, by the Jabak, right? That's, that's what's going on here. And at this point in the text, we don't know and he doesn't know who it is he's wrestling. Just the guy. Here's what we do know. A few details. Number one, we know that this guy, whoever he is, was the aggressor. He attacked Jacob. That's significant. Right? Because Jacob's like 130-something. He ain't fighting nobody. Right? This is not his teen years. He ain't going after nobody. This guy attacks him. Right? We know also that they wrestled all night long till the breaking of the day. I don't know how many of y'all have wrestled before. College wrestlers, first period is three minutes. Second period, two minutes. Third period, two minutes. And that's it. All right? That's a total of seven minutes if you make it to the end. And you are exhausted. Wrestling is an exhausting sport. Old boy goes toe-to-toe all night long. So he's, he's got a little spunk in himself, right? He's got a little, he's got a little uh, perseverance and resilience but they go all night and it seemingly ends in a stalemate, right? When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, so here, here's, here's when he starts to see that this is not just a normal dude. It says he touches his hip socket. And the word for touch is not smacks it, punches it. It's for a light touch. Boop. And as soon as he does, now the hip joint is like the strongest part of your body. This bone is like one of the strongest parts of your body, the femur, this whole area. And as soon as he just like touches it, that socket pops out, all those ligaments ripped, wrenched, and that puppy is is out and Jacob is out. If you're a wrestler and you lose your leverage of your legs, you're just there. And some of us, we saw Tua go out earlier. Remember that? He broke his hip, he dislocated his hip. What'd they do? They had to take this strong athlete and they had to put him on a golf cart. There ain't no golf cart by the Jabbok. And so Jacob, the only thing he can do is just hold on to this guy with all he has got. Right? It's, he just grabs on. It, and it shows, this shows, by the way, that this, this man, whoever he is, it wasn't that he, was, he just couldn't beat Jacob. He's just playing with him. He's just letting him hang all night long until it's time. Fight's over. <laughs> Jacob loses, right? And so whoever this, this man is says, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob says, I am not, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He realizes this is not just an ordinary guy, right? He's it's, it's just not a normal guy. Uh, Jacob, his whole life, has been smart enough, tricky enough, you know, fast enough to just get what he wanted, to manipulate, to sneak, to do all these things. He, was, he could do this, he could do that, he could do this. 
At this point, he's got nothing. All those sheep and his family and his everything is across the river. But at least he has his body. This person has taken out the only thing he has left. His physical strength. Right, there he is, helpless, holding on. He has lost. He has lost. But he realizes this, this is, this, whoever this is, is bigger than me, is more powerful than me. I'm supposed to be the one who is blessing everybody else because I'm the blessing. But no, I need you to bless me. I need you to bless me. And what we, what we understand is, as the text unfolds, I'll, I'll kind of let you know and on the secret. Who is this man that he is wrestling? Hosea says uh, that he was the angel. That Jacob strove with the angel and he prevailed and he wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel. And there God spoke with us. We know this is just kind of unpacking the text. That this is the angel of Yahweh. This is the angel of the Lord. This, this individual that shows up frequently throughout the Old Testament. Right? He showed up to Moses in the burning bush and said, I am that I am. Tell him I, I am Cynthia. He shows up when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac and the knife is about to plunge into his son and the angel of the Lord cries out and says, stop, now I know that you fear me. It's, it's a, what theologians call a theophany. It's an appearance of God in the form of an angel in the Old Testament. And most scholars and theologians agree that this is a, a a picture, or this is not a picture, this is a uh, second person of the Trinity coming to uh, earth in the form of an angel. The one who a thousand years later would be born in Bethlehem, who Micah says, oh you little Bethlehem, uh, one who is gonna come from you whose who's goings forth are from past. He is the agent of days. A thousand years later, this is the one who would come to Bethlehem, be born, placed in a manger, his name would be Jesus. And he's showing up here now as the angel of the Lord. And he is wrestling with his man. Jacob is wrestling with God himself. That's pretty much a lose, lose situation, right? But now he is he realizing, I need you. And he's clinging with all he has. And God is not mad at him. God is not like, what have you been fighting with me for? It's, it's as if God is saying, now we're getting somewhere. Now you're learning, Sonny. Because remember, who's the one who attacked who? God is the one who attacked him. And could God have won that battle before it even begun? He could have knocked his hip out earlier. He lets him hang. It's kind of like a dad who's got little boys. And the little boys like the wrestle. And you're climbing all over and you're throwing them all over. And, and you let him hang. But there comes a point when you need to let him know who daddy is. And so you throw them across the room and they're all like, ah. And then they realize, I'm not daddy. He's daddy. He's more powerful than me. It's in his essence what God is doing. He's stripped this man down to nothing. He's got no sheep. He's got no money. He's got not, now he has, the only thing he had was the strength of his hips. He has nothing. And now all he has to cling. And it's as if God's saying, you get the point now? You need me. Cling to me. Right? I am your everything. And so he asks him a question. He says, what's your name, pilgrim? As if God knows his name. He's talked to him before, right? But he wants him to say it because there's something significant that's gonna happen. He says, he says, I'm Jacob. And what he's saying is, I am cheater. I'm liar, I'm supplanter. 
I'm the one who trips up from behind. And it's just, I can see God, a smile on the angel of the Lord's face. He says, no, no, that's what you were. You're right. You were cheater. You were liar. You were supplanter. But your name shall no longer be called liar. I'm going to call you fighter. Tough man. Israel, the one who strives. So Israel means he strives. He says, because you have striven with God and with men and you have prevailed. You fought with God and you won. You say, How's it seem, how did he win? He's sitting there limp on the ground. He can't move. Seems like he lost. Here's why. Because he learned to cling and in clinging, he gets a new identity. He's made new in essence, we would say. He is no longer liar going to be Israel. God wants to do some stuff and he doesn't want his goats and he doesn't want his sheep and he doesn't care about all his accomplishments. He takes them to the place where he has nothing else that he will cling and says, now you get it. I don't want your religion. I don't want your money. I don't want your talents. I don't need any of that stuff. I want you, Jacob. I want you, person sitting in your living room. I don't need all this stuff. I want you. And, and don't miss this. This is the art and the beauty of the story is the one who gets crippled and the one who loses the fight is the one who actually wins. Because if Jacob wins, if he wins the wrestling match, he never clings to God. He never feels his need on this level. He never calls out to God. He never gets his names changed to Israel. It's huge. The one who loses actually wins, right? And that's the, way, that's the way we came into the kingdom, is it not? We had to come to a place where we had nothing. We were empty. We, all our good deeds, all our religion, all our trying hard, all our everything, and we had to come to a place, even our strength, our intellect, or whatever it is, was nothing. And then God's like, okay, you get it now? Me. You gotta cling to me. You gotta come to the end of yourself, because blessed are the meek. They inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And God does the same thing for us that he did for him. He makes us new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity. Our identity now is in Christ. In Christ. God sees not Bill Fowler or you separated from him. He sees Christ. He's no longer Jacob liar. He is the one who fights. Is Israel. And now that you're there, Jacob, we can do some stuff together. I'm going to save the world through your descendant. I'm going to change everything through one who will come from you, right? The Messiah. It's just this beautiful picture of coming to the end of yourself, losing, and then winning, right? And maybe, maybe some of you out there today are fighting God, and you're resisting God. And, and there's an area of strength. Maybe it's, it's your metaphorical hip that you're, you're trusting in. It's your money. It's your, it's your job. It's your uh, whatever. And you don't, want it, you don't want to yield. You want to keep fighting. God will let you fight. But you're going to lose eventually. And there's, a, and there's sometimes fear. I get it. People, because we have a warped view of God. Well, if I... If I submit to God in this area of my life, what's he gonna do? He's gonna make me marry a person I don't want, take a job I don't want, move to a country I don't want, do this. It's gonna make my life miserable. It's a warped view of God, right? As if God is, is, wants you to, to be miserable. 
right? He'll let you hang and he'll let you fight. But eventually, if he takes away that hip, it's because he loves you. And it's not that he's down on you. He has something better. You might think this, and he wants something better that you can't see, but it's going to take a broken hip to see it. Much better to, to lose early rather than lose late in this case, right? But he wins because he clings. And because he clings, he gets a new identity, right? He takes a lose-lose, and he worships, and he wins. He takes a lose-lose, he gets a new identity. And one more thing, verse 29. Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. He already knows his name. We're gonna see. The angel said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. See, my name is irrelevant. You already know my name. You know my name. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He, he knows it's God. I saw, I saw God. I wrestled with God, and I've been delivered. That's called grace, right? Grace. And so the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. He walks with a limp. I don't know how he walks at all, but he walks with a limp. And, and it becomes a memorial in Israel. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of the thigh. So every time you're getting together on Sabbath to eat, and there's the sheep over there, and a little kid grabs, wants to grab that portion of lamb. Grandma smacks him away. No, 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 we don't eat that part. Because God, because God did this to Jacob, and we remember he made him weak. But think about this. Every day, Jacob got up. He feels the effects of this. <laughs> they don't have surgery. They don't have physical therapy. In fact, he walks with a cane, a staff for the rest of his life. Every time he gets up, there's a tinge. And it's slow. Every time a sheep runs off, he can't chase it anymore. Every time the grandkids want to play ball, he can't, he can't throw like he used to be able to. There's a constant reminder every day. And what's that reminder? I need God. And so the third reason he wins, even though he loses, is he learns dependence on a level that he never Every time, right? Every time he's tempted to look at all his sheep and all his stuff and all the things he has, he has to remember, I can't even go out into the field and take care of them. Every time he's tempted to manipulate and, and outthink everybody, he, he has to remember, I can't even get out of my chair without a stick. And it is a reminder from God, you need me. Don't fall back in your strength. You need me. And this is, hey, some of us have to walk with a limp to learn this. Sometimes God has to get us where we think we're strong. Maybe it's, again, our money. Maybe it's our, our giftedness. Maybe it's our families. Uh, maybe, whatever, our relationships, to, rem to remind us that our strengths are not, are not strengths. In the kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, it's weakness that is actually strength because it's dependence, right? And we need to remember that. It, it's, it, again, this coronavirus is such an easy reminder that something that is microscopic and you can't even see can cripple one of the greatest nations or most powerful nations in the world, or the entire world, right? Because everyone's like, they don't know what to do. 
just reminds us of our need for an almighty God. And sometimes he'll leave those reminders. Remember Paul? He's got some kind of thorn in the flesh. Some people think it was his eyes. We don't really know. But he begs God three times, remove this from me, remove this from me, remove this from me. And God says, nope. That stays. Not because God doesn't love him, because he wants to teach him that my grace is sufficient for you. Because my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's a hard lesson. When you got the thorn, that's a hard lesson. Remember Peter? I heard this this week, and I, I never thought of it before, but it struck out to me. So Peter, God says, you're not going to be Peter. You're going to be rock. Or his name was Simon. You're not going to be Simon anymore. You're going to be Peter, which means rock. Yeah, I'm rock. And on you, I'm going to build my church. Yeah, you're going to do that. That's great, right? But then uh, what happens towards the end when Jesus is about to go to the cross, he says, all you guys are going to betray me. You're going you're gonna to leave me. And Peter says, they may, but the rock won't. The rock's going to be here. And sure, sure enough, Jesus is taken away. Peter's stones throw away. Three times denies that he even heard of Jesus, even knew Jesus. Once to a little girl. A little girl scares him so much, he's, he's swearing, I, I swear I do not know the man. And what happens? As soon as he does it, a cock crows three times. Because Jesus told him that would happen. And then, a few days later, after the resurrection, Jesus restores him. He takes him by the beach and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three times he has to affirm it because three times he denied it. But think about this. In an agrarian culture, what's something you hear almost every single day? You hear a rooster crow. Have you, some of you have been places where there's chickens running everywhere. What do you hear? In the middle of the day, it's already morning. Don't stop, you know. Every time, and I can't help but think that every time that guy, the rest of his life, hears a rooster crow, he has to remember, on my own, I deny Jesus. I need him. It's, it's a great reminder for us. It's a way we win in a seemingly lose-lose. And maybe some of you are, are facing a seemingly lose-lose situation. There's anxiety, there's depression. You're saying, God, why didn't you take this away from me? I don't want this. I don't want to be here. There's a financial burden. God, I just, I, I don't want to be rich, but I just don't want to be struggling. Maybe there's a health issue. I, maybe it's a hit. Maybe it's thorn in your flesh. Maybe it's your eyes, whatever. God, I, I don't want to be, you know, Mr. Fitness, but I just want to be, I don't want to feel pain in my body anymore. I want to wake up and not have chronic back pain. I, I don't want to feel sick. I don't, I don't want to lose sleep. And I don't want those things for any of us. Maybe God in those, in those moments, maybe that's your Kobayashi Maru, that lose-lose. He wants you to learn dependence. I know, it, I know you feel weak. My strength is made strong in your weakness. I know you don't, you don't want your family in this situation right now, but you can draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You can learn dependence. Jacob's in a lose-lose. And he wins because he worships. In clinging to his God, he, he finds a new identity. He is no longer this, he is now this. And he learns dependence. Hard lessons. No one wants to lose lose situation, but we can win by God's grace. Let me pray uh, for you guys out there, for us this week, uh, for opportunities for you to be the church. In a seemingly difficult, challenging situation in our, in our world, that God would use these things to encourage us. Hey, he is awake. He is not asleep. 
He is doing something. It's a great opportunity for us to, to be the church. Let me pray. And then we'll sing one more song. Father, I just pray uh, for us as we face struggles, as, as some of us are in the middle of life challenges, uh, that we would see these as opportunities to worship, to depend, and to come back to who we are in Christ, what he has done for us, how he has changed us and molded us. Um, I pray for us this week. There'll be lots of opportunities. Some people will be fearful. There'll be people with needs that we have the ability to meet. And so I just pray we would be sensitive to that. I also pray that if we have time with our families, that we would utilize those, take advantage of those. They're very rare uh, with the lack of distraction. So let us use that, grow close to each other. May our groups meet in a way that encourages them and, and meet the needs of each other. Lord, just help us to continue, just because we can't gather one Sunday, to continue to be your church. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior.